I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. Horace Gilgamesh is a pen name for the author of the Awkward Moments Children's Bible, which is really not for children. It features beautiful illustrations of the most disturbing biblical passages you'll ever read. Volume 2 came out recently, and I suspect we'll be seeing a lot, a few more volumes in the future because, well, there's so much more source material. So thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, thanks for having me. Glad to talk to you guys. Absolutely. So why, why the pen name? Because I'm almost positive that's not what's on your birth certificate. So <laughs> why the hidden identity? What are you so afraid of? <laughs> I now run the Catholic Church. I'm still on their <laughs> docket as an active member. Oof. Now, you know, it, what, it kind of, what it came down to is originally I've got some other business interests around the country with a lot of people, frankly, who depend on our business and our partnerships around the country to make a living. Yeah. And when I started this, it was, with, it was with a group of interfaith friends, you know, PhDs and seminary degrees and pastors as well as atheists. And it kind of started as an inside joke. And we put it online just anonymously, and it, it really started to grow. And as it started to grow, I realized I did, you know, frankly, in those 2014, we live in a fairly, I, I'm not going to be naive, it is a Christian nation mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes when it comes down to the reality of, you know, actual persecution and things. So just decided to, to kind of separate my business life from my personal life Um for that reason, you know, from the business side, as well as, frankly, even in my own family, not my immediate family, but through in-laws and relationships. I still have a lot of friends in the Christian world, um, you know, I used to, you know, colleagues and friends as well. Uh, and then I just, you know, coming out that fast, you know, from being a, you know, involved in full-time ministry to being involved in one of the most critical um you know, Christian critical books that's come out recently that some people would think is poking fun rather than having a conversation. I just didn't, you know, want to put a part on my back when we started it. And, you know, rightfully so. Yeah. yeah. Things have kind of escalated at times. And as, as many non-believers are kind of aware of in terms of both from family and friends, as sure. well as strangers in their basement. So, we'll talk yeah, about that very soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Sure. Um. <laughs> So how do you identify now? Do you call yourself an atheist, or do you still identify with Christianity? <laughs> no, uh, I do not identify with Christianity. It's a great question. I think the only atheist that gets to claim the fame to be an atheist that everybody likes is Hemant, who would be Score. friendly atheist. <laughs> yeah, he stole that wish, name from us. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> but if you call yourself friendly, you're friendly. Nobody can take that away from you. I mean, at the end of the day, like when we wrote the when I wrote the first book, I definitely wouldn't consider myself an atheist, uh, mostly out of naivety and ignorance on my own part of what an atheist is, which is why most of the time nowadays I don't can I don't call myself an atheist because frankly I don't I, I kind of reject the word. I mean, the, the the point of the word even existed to begin with. So I'm asked all the time, uh, both by friends and family, as well as fans, as well you know um, critics. Whether or not I'm an atheist, and even even the last six months, by answering that incorrectly with a close friend of twenty years, it ended a relationship. Yeah. Uh, by uh, ans- by answering that question incorrectly, you know, with a stranger online, uh, you never know what the answer can be. And the, the point being, obviously, no, I, I do not believe in the God and the Christian God, and I do not consider myself a Christian. Uh, and for 
people who understand what the word atheist means simply that I don't have a, I don't believe in any God. Sure. So um, you're almost yeah, taking the same, atheist. you're taking like the same Harris approach, which is that I don't use the word atheist because I shouldn't need a word to describe something so ridiculous that I don't, be, like we don't have a word for people who don't believe in unicorns. Why right. do I need a word for people who don't believe in God? Is that correct? I would, say, I would say that's where I started. At the same time, though, I will fall back and say that I, I do it partly out of fear, um, only with this with this in mind. Yes, I take the Sam Harris approach, but at the same time, the reason I don't answer yes or no is because my response is usually, well, you tell me what an atheist is before I tell you whether, I'm not, whether or not I'm going to accept that Got it. title yeah, or that, uh, and, and the stigma that goes along with it. You guys are aren't new to this the reality of <laughs> We're you know, familiar. what the word means to somebody right. <laughs> means <laughs> different things to different people absolutely yeah yeah and at the end of the day do i believe in god no did i wake up this morning and bite the head off of a living puppy no so you didn't you're missing out man yeah. i'm telling you i know they're tasty but <laughs> it's monday week's going so do you think um do you think somebody who believes in the Bible could be as critical as you are in your books? Like, do you think it's possible to, like, somehow, like, point out the ridiculousness in the Bible but still believe its message? You know, let's, uh, well, let's just get down to what everybody's thinking about today. And I thought, Tom did a great job of bringing it up on his blog. People like Christine Wick, for instance. They she is, and just to be clear, she's uh, the Christian who kind of uh, shows up basically protesting anyone who's not a Christian. I think she protested a Muslim prayer at, like, the National Cathedral or something like that. Oh, how dare they? She got, yeah, she got kicked out of the prayer at the National Cathedral, you know, one of the first big ecumenical um, Muslims and Christians coming together kind of thing. She also... <laughs> Yeah, it kind of made headlines, or it kind of became internet famous here in the last couple of weeks by claiming that the Monster Energy drinks were really the spawn of Satan and anybody oh, that has yes. the M logo on their hat. Right. Yeah, same lady, same lady. Yeah, she's a great lady. But so to answer Classic. the question or to kind of have the conversation, do I think that people are critical of the Bible? Uh, absolutely. There's a difference, though, between being critical and being logical. Or between studying it and thinking critically about it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I have several friends with PhDs, everything from theology to biblical history to, I would call it regular, <laughs> regular history. Um, and they know a lot of things, and they have a lot of knowledge, and uh, with that knowledge, it doesn't necessarily always come wisdom and discernment and to think critically. So, like, I was reading Christine Wick's, uh, I shouldn't say I was reading her book. I was reading excerpts of her book today because I could not stop laughing about her claiming, essentially, a cloak of invisibility to get into the National Cathedral in order to break up a Muslim prayer service. Right. Because, you know, God, God protected her. So I went to look at her book. I went to look at her, you know, her Facebook page, and this is this is a great great example. Like, so her Facebook page, which I assume is her private page, and she's got thousands of friends, and I I can't imagine it's a, a fake profile. You know, her cover photo is a giant logo on the back of a back windshield of a car, back window of the car. I guess it's not a windshield, and the giant logo across the entire, you know, just huge letters says, "Truth is hate to those who hate the truth." Huh? Well, uh, huh. yeah, that's pretty poignant, Christine. Have you ever thought about 
that that goes both ways. <laughs> you know? so, the truth is only whatever you know, she I mean, believes, yeah. and that's all that matters. They love that word truth. Yeah. Truth and values. God, they oh, love yeah, those yeah. words. And American and family. Exactly. Well, and family. Own them all. <laughs> well, you guys know how it is. I mean, how often do you get do you get called hateful? Even as a friendly atheist, how often are you called hateful? On, on the internet, all the time. Conversations. On the internet, it happens all the, the time. Thankfully, in my real life, I don't associate with people who would say well, that. I call him hateful at least once a yeah, day. Yeah, Jessica he does it every day. He needs to be reminded. <laughs> well, I want to go back to Jessica's question, though, because... <laughs> I want to go back to Jessica's question, because your books, um, they're really just Bible verses and an illustration that shows that Bible verse in action, in theory, it could have been written by a Christian because it's not like you're saying it's true or false. I mean, it's just this like, is oh, this is, yeah, this is what the Bible says. This and is what it might look like. Here's what a cute illustration of it looks like. I mean, a Christian could have written that. Do you think yeah. any Christian could do what you're doing? Or why would they shy away from it, I guess? Because that's in their Bible. I mean, well, you know, I think... Yeah, I mean, I think they're definitely, I think it's definitely possible. Um, and there are some great guys out there. I don't know if you guys know, like, the Reverend Fun comic. It uh, used to be part of the Gospel. How do I not know this com, name? Like the, I need to figure, I'll. Yeah, Reverend I'll, Fun. He's a, that's an awesome name for a Reverend. Around, he was, he was, his stuff was used all the time. He was a comic strip writer. He did stuff on a daily basis. And he had a pretty huge following in the Christian world. I think he's still around. But he... He doesn't take it quite as far. Like he just does a little comic strip about a Bible verse a day kind of thing, and they're not necessarily challenging as mine are. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, I think I'll answer it this way: to say that, in all honesty, the first book was definitely written in that way that many people couldn't tell if I was a believer or non-believer. Uh, the second book, I will say, definitely takes more of a critical tone and a more focused. Um, narrative, especially if you go through the commentary in the back of the book about my own challenges of faith, my own kind of loss of faith, yeah. my own uh, you know, challenges and frustrations with the modern church as well. So, um, yeah, the second book, uh, I think I failed on the you know, staying under the radar, <laughs> <laughs> but the first book definitely it. But like you said, though, Hammond, I mean, I think the reality is, you know, these are Bible verses, um, and or, I think another thing that's important, and part of what I've enjoyed doing with the books, is to show what wasn't Bible verses, you know, things that have been added, things that have been changed, um, you know, things that have been altered just enough so that people don't really have an idea of what Jesus really was. You know, they get this harmonized idea between all the four Gospels that, you know, he was always happy, he was always sad, he was always powerful, he's God, but he's not God, you know, all these kind of things. But that's not what any of the, the authors of the four Gospels all thought at the same time. They all had their own story they were trying to tell, and over the last couple thousand years we've harmonized those. And, so, and at some point, sometimes we've really changed the stories pretty dramatically. Um, and so kind of one of the challenges we've had in the books and like online and the blogs is to get people to think critically. And that's all we're asking people to do. We're not trying to tell people that their faith is stupid and wrong. We're saying... If you have faith, what is it in? Is it in the Bible? And is it is it in a naturalistic interpretation of what God is in nature? So if it's if it's organized religion, it's modern Christianity, you need to understand or you need to be able to have a response when asked about certain things during the Bible. And this goes as much for the New Testament as it does for the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's been one of the challenges. I, mean, I, I would say our challenge or our goal all along has been just to get people to think critically. And we invite them to do that. So we do that with silly-looking images that once you look a little bit closer, you hopefully are going to get drawn in enough to investigate for yourself. You're going to open your Bible. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, look it up. Yeah. How, like, what, is, what does it mean in the context of the Bible? What does it mean in the context of modern society? Um, and sometimes the answer is not pretty, unfortunately. And that's where... You know, it, that's what makes people's skin crawl, I guess. It's a reality until they like to take a look in the mirror. Um, it's kind of the mom's cooking thing. It's okay if Christians, you know, write books that mm-hmm. challenge the Bible. You know, even like Dan Kimball, pastor, you know, evangelical pastor and author and professor out at uh, Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California. He just wrote the foreword for our second book. And he's a professing Christian evangelical pastor who's very involved in, uh, you know, youth group training and um very he's got like a five book deal now i think goes on to coming out for his next series of books and, um so some christians really get it some christians you know like a christine wick for instance probably isn't my number one fan <laughs> <laughs> well does that ha- i mean that has to happen with some frequency that i just from my experience a lot of christians don't actually sit down and read their bible cover to cover so do with any frequency, get people saying like, "Oh, I don't remember this being in the Bible." Does that happen to you a lot? Yeah, yeah, we get it both ways. I mean, there's the shock value things. You know, there's there's some shock value illustrations put out there once in a while, and usually from the Old Testament to get people to kind of think, "Oh, yeah, talking donkey." I didn't know that was in there, or unicorns, which of course is a translation thing. But um, what we really kind of um, excel or I spend a lot of our time in doing is really taking a look at, okay, the Old Testament's silly. We agree. It's just crap. Let's just not even look at the Old Testament. It's not applicable anymore. It doesn't matter. Oh, except for the fact that without the Old Testament, there wouldn't be a New Testament. Without the prophecies, that kind of Messiah. Mm-hmm. And people still use the Old Testament. People still refer to the Old Testament all the time. If when it's, it's convenient. Yeah, if it's oh, convenient. Sure. sure. Well, let's well, talk about... Obviously, yeah. I'm going to get in. <laughs> Let's talk about something we alluded to earlier. So before a recent conference in Seattle where you were scheduled to speak, you received a death threat by someone nicknamed uh, God's Little Helper. And Adorable. Yeah. You eventually decided to cancel your appearance there. Uh, tell us what was going through your mind and whether this is something that happens often to you. Um, yeah, so... The only reason to go back, the only reason I really canceled is because it happened so quickly right before the event. So the event, I was supposed to show up and start uh, seeing folks on Wednesday. I got the first letter on Monday, so two days earlier, um, which I consider to be a fairly obvious death threat because it was referring specifically to seeing me in Seattle and kind of knew the schedule. Um, and so I, I alerted the, the staff, and we had a conversation about it, and said, "Okay, I'm still coming. It's not. I don't really take it that seriously." They, they were going to give you like bodyguards, bodyguards, I think, right? Yeah. Wow, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly. And so, and the, the next day, we got a second letter uh, on Wednesday morning. <laughs> we got a third letter, all addressed to my personal name and my personal mailbox at the house. Um, That's scary. So that fast. If it had happened two weeks earlier, a month earlier, something I wouldn't have really thought about, but the fact that it seemed to kind of be like a, I mean, frankly, it's not like a movie. Um, I didn't necessarily take it that, that seriously, but at the end of the day, when it came down to the event staff offering to hire bodyguards and off, 
you know, off duty police and military from the area to kind of come and protect me. And you know, it just, it seems too much. I, I would never ask anybody to take a bullet for my face, you know, on the very off chance that somebody could get out of their basement and have mommy drive them to a, the event to kill an atheist. But at the same time, I also wasn't gonna be, I wasn't gonna change the tone and the feel of the event by even being there. So it's kind of a lose lose. And I just I, I think they made the right choice to walk away. Um, what was very inspiring, happened, though, you know, what was very inspiring though is that even in your absence, um, the other attendees, many of the other attendees at the conference, took those "Hello, my name is" sticker badges, and they all wrote down, like so many of them. And these pictures were online. "Hello, my name is Horace Gilgamesh." Oh, they wow. all wrote that down in a Spartacus sort of way, uh-huh. slapped it on themselves, and posted those pictures on Facebook, which I thought was just a beautiful, brilliant showing of solidarity to you, even if you couldn't be there in person. It was, and I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I, tears are rolling down like a baby when <laughs> I had a number of folks emailing me those photos. Yeah. You know, Amy Monsky, the head of the, the Atheist Alliance, started shooting me photos, and George <laughs> from the Seattle Atheist started. And yeah, yeah, I mean, to the point where, you know, I was trying to kind of move mountains or to get there the last evening, and I was going to kind of come out and go, I am Morris, stage, <laughs> you know, with Steve Pinker. And, but then again, I just, I'm such a, you know, you'd never know it by how boisterous I am in the online world, but I just didn't want to then make that a spectacle. You know, sure. giving Rebecca Goldstein this big award, and I just didn't want to show up and, and take any any of the kind of attention away from the original schedule. So I stayed away. But yeah, I mean, it, I could, I, it's been amazing. And then some people put together some, like, T-shirt campaigns, and there are a couple out there, like, I'm Horace on the front, <laughs> and they've got the death threat lingo from Deuteronomy on the back, which I think is funny. I mean, I think... Yeah, it's great, and I um, have just from, especially there's somebody actually real quick. Somebody actually just sent a photo today of wearing that of that shirt on the back that has a quote of Deuteronomy about whether it's your brother or your sister or whatever. Yeah. If they if they worship other gods, kill them, even if you have to do it yourself or you should do it yourself. So they're wearing that in front of Lakewood or Lake Church. Um, sorry, Joel Steen's Church down in Houston. Lakewood, yeah. A couple of days. But, yeah, Lakewood Church. Uh, so it'll be a nice photo of that lovely verse in another <laughs> steps of uh, Lakewood. Very nice. I actually have been to a conference. This was many years ago where Ayan Hirsi Ali, uh, the ex-Muslim, uh, mm-hmm. uh, was speaking. And yeah, sure. there were bodyguards. There were uh, bomb-sniffing dogs like Jeez. at the conference. And it was just one of those things that it's like, it, this is frightening as someone who is just an attendee at this place. Mm-hmm. It is a necessary thing to have, though, because, I mean, the, I mean, this is at the same conference where there was, like, Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and Dawkins. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get enough threats on their own, but right. uh, her specifically, sure. people just have uh, it out for that's her. Scary. So it was one of those things you accepted because that's what the price of admission was for mm-hmm. getting her to speak, and you wanted to hear what she had to say. But it's a scary thing that speakers, and, and this is across the board, not just an atheist thing, that anyone would be so afraid of what someone has to say or put out there mm-hmm. that they're willing to, you know, issue any sort of death threat. That's scary. Have you, uh, forgive but, uh, me, Horace, but... If I, Go ahead. If, if I can hop on that real, if I can hop on that real quick, sorry. Just, yeah. um, I haven't really talked about this that much because I don't ever, you know, get to have conversations with people because I live in my basement as well. But <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I, I, I've really done a lot of thinking about this. I don't think the threats come from challenging the Bible. 
frankly. I mean, I get death, I get you know threats of physical stuff all the time, or like weird cyber threats. You know, I report them when I can. But the reality is, people aren't getting challenged and they aren't getting violent because we, let's say, poke fun at Moses and the burning bush, or if we explicitly show that. Jesus' own family thought he was insane, and people thought he was even possessed. And of course, they killed him because he, you know, for sedition against the state. That's not what upsets people. That's not what gets their hackles up. What consistently has gotten their hackles up when I go over the line to make commentaries that deal with modern day issues. And so, the thing that happened this summer, I think, was directly related to I kind of helped push a story out there about what I thought was child coercion at a church camp down in Tennessee where six adults all stood around the child, you know, Jesus camp style. Mm-hmm. Six adults standing around a child with a video camera running, with many of them having their hands on this little five- or six-year-old blonde kid who's crying out, they're holding his hands up, and he's clearly terrified and being coerced to, you know, by the person behind the camera to call out for Jesus and say, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. And he's just, he just terrified. And so I... I commented on that, and we posted a video and photos from one of the mothers who had children there uh, who shared those. And that's where the real threat started. Not Again, not because we're having a conversation about Bible verses, but we're having a conversation about what people consider to be their religious freedoms and their religious liberties in this country. And this has happened a number of times, and it happened again in the last couple of weeks. Uh, a couple of days ago, I posted a, a, an article or a blog post and had some conversations about um, you know, the, the uh, trial just finished up down in Oregon where two parents, another set of parents, I should say, has been convicted with manslaughter for uh, failed faith healings. Yeah, they said uh, their daughter was sick and they're not going to take her to a doctor. Let's just pray for her to get better. Oh, hey, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, who was surprised by that? No one's surprised by that. They were. Right, right. But the problem is this doesn't just happen. This isn't. This is, this is not a completely isolated case. And if you're, you know, if you follow stories in the Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, you know, we have cemeteries where 25 percent of the headstones are, you know, children at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there are some of these, some of these sects of this specific church. And the same thing in Pennsylvania. The, the family in Pennsylvania this last year finally got stopped after they killed their second child by withholding basic medical care. So. All I have to say, you know, it, it, it's not the bringing up conversations about the Bible that gets people's hackles up and, and threats of terror, for lack of a better term, yeah. threats of murder. I think it's really when you're having conversations about Christian culture overall. The same thing talking about the pastor's wife, you know, uh, well, in your area there, wasn't it? In Illinois, the pastor's wife who got the call from her husband that the world was coming to an end, said it was time to prepare the family, so she went and dressed the kids in white three daughters in white and stabbed them and stabbed herself. And I forgot all uh, the details of that story, but Jessica. it sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, Jessica's like, yeah, Oh my I, God. Uh, it, it's, you would think they'd be thrilled so, that you're actually so quoting the Bible in these books. Right. So yeah, like there, there's some other reaction to it. Um, well, again, no, it's not, it, it, it's, it's a conversation. Well, I'll put it this way real quick if I can. I don't blame the guy who call her a guy or gal who calls himself God's little helper for giving death threats against me. <laughs> who I blame are people like, you know, big Christian religious leaders right now who have kind of instituted this fear of being of Christian persecution, this false sense of persecution. So folks like Franklin Graham, for instance, or Joyce Meyer, for instance, you know, these people are out there telling Christians, 
now is the time to stand firm. We're under attack. The enemy is coming. That you know, end of days is here. Um, the whole which, idea which of like having a martyr uh, complex. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And not even, yeah, exactly. But they're, but at the same time, they're really instituting a new fear. I mean, it's a fear response. So if if when you take when you when you when somebody thinks something's being taken away from them, that is ten times more terrifying than somebody making fun of their religion. You can make fun of somebody's religion or challenge their religion all day long, but if they think something's going to be taken away from them, you know, the war on Christmas, the war on Easter, right. civil liberties, prayer in schools, all that kind of stuff, um, that's where people are going to start, you know, arming themselves and you know, with their cloaks of invisibility, so mm-hmm. they can get into the national cathedral to shut down a Muslim prayer. Yeah. Haven't have you ever regretted writing under your real name? Um I'm thankful that no, I really haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh there are times where I'm like, oh, I would love to say this where it doesn't come back to bite me, but right. I mean, for the most part I've been fortunate, but I I realize that I'm fortunate because I hear stories like what Horace is saying and I I know that there are a lot of other atheists out there who have lost a job or been ostracized by people they're close to because they use their real name and they were so out there. Yeah. I feel like that's happening less, but it, it does happen and mm-hmm. it's scary. Yeah. I know. It's just something I think about a lot, especially, you know, I'm I'm going to get married in nine months and yeah. I'm planning on changing my name, but I've always said like, I'm going to keep doing this and all my other stuff under my, my maiden name. Under yeah, my yeah, maiden yeah. name. I don't know why. Like I, I think first of all, it's just easier to separate those things. But I'm yeah. like, I don't need to bring you know my fiance's family through all this crap. <laughs> I don't know. Um, are there any are there any Bible verses, Horace, that you would not include in your future books that you wouldn't illustrate? <laughs> Do you mean because they're so dirty or because they're so loving? That's no, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I, I'm sure you could do plenty of illustrations about the loving verses. They just wouldn't be that interesting or funny. But um, I mean, are there any uh, for any reason? I, I assume you would do the ones that are really dirty or really violent. But I don't know if there's anything you're just like, you know what? Even that one's too explicit for for our tastes. Well, you know, okay, there's two sides of that. So, like in the second book, we did. Um, yeah, I've been holding off. And there's some things that just kind of seem too lowbrow, for lack of a better term, or too easy, too cheap. Low-hanging um, fruit, so to speak? Yeah. What's that? Low-hanging fruit. Well, yeah, you know, like the whole, you know, out of Ezekiel, about the, the two sisters and the lovers who are, you know, are, are lusting after genitals as mm-hmm. large as donkeys and semen flows as strong as stallions. I mean, People always ask you, like, oh, you got to do that, you got to do that. And yeah, have fun illustrating that one. <laughs> yeah, well, and we kind of did in the second <laughs> book. But then what we did is, is we turned on to the rest of that conversation. The rest of the conversation out of Ezekiel is all about the punishment. You know, that whole story is really um, is really not about two women. It's about two cities that God's kind of wrath is on. But... So we went on more to talk about well, what does God's wrath look like, and what you know, and the, the fact that they're using in the Bible, they're using this metaphor of what God's going to do to a woman. Um, it gets pretty gross. It gets pretty grotesque. But we put it in there specifically to show: no, this is the loving Father. This is mm-hmm. God who then came to Earth as Himself, as His Son. Same guy. If you. If you want to shove monotheism into monotheism by claiming that the Old Testament 
is where the prophecy came from from the Messiah, you do have to accept this and own this and accept the misogyny and accept the terror. So I, that's probably one of the more gross, you know, gruesome verses out there in the Bible, and we still tackled it. At the same time, I get challenged by Christians all the time saying, oh, why don't you put good things in the Bible, you know, from the Bible? <laughs> it's know, it's a comedy are, book. Like, like, it's supposed to make job. us laugh. Well, they're all, but the funny thing is they're already accepting that there are bad things in the Bible, which is great. So we got them halfway. Huh. And so I say, well, give me an example. And then, of course, the example they would always give is, well, how about John 3.16? Right. right. God okay, so loved that's the world. Original. Yes. I'm happy to do that. We actually have a fantastic illustration for John 3.16. We almost put in the second book, and we're kind of holding off for something special for Easter next year uh, with <laughs> the billboard project. But the whole point is, John 3.16 doesn't end with 3.16. It goes on to 3.17 in the second part of 3.16. And people don't remember that, wait, if I don't believe, I will perish. Thanks. And what, you know, it's not just about God coming because he loves us all. There's still this, you know, low-hanging just fruit of, of murder <laughs> and <laughs> wrath and torture. And, so even and the good stuff isn't all that good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do people try um, to explain the bad yeah, verses I mean, away? We're not, afraid of, we're not afraid of anything. I'm sorry, Jessica, what was that? Do people try to explain the bad verses away? Do they kind of like, like, yeah, it says this, but it's a metaphor, or what they really mean is dot, dot, dot? Well, I mean, there's two, there's two sides of that. I mean, there's the scholarly explaining things away. I mean, you're, you're going to have people you know, philosophers like William Lane Craig, or you're going to have more ecumenical evangelicals like Lee Strobel, who can, you know, so that's the whole point of apologetics, right? An apologist, right. they've been doing it for centuries. They And there are books, there are Christian bookstores filled with explaining it all away. That's what you go and do in church every weekend. You know, you're going to hear one passage out of Malachi all about how important tithing is, but we're going to skip the verses before and after that about how if you don't follow God, he's going to rub your face in poop, literally if you're a priest. And so, yeah, it's all about, you know, we get, we get, you know, accused of cherry picking all the time. And I always, my answer is always, okay, well, let's talk about the context. Yeah. And we do <laughs> things on purpose. Sometimes we do, we do put some illustrations out there to invite the context conversations. Like we did an illustration in the first book with Jesus dressed up in a, a robe, essentially in a cave with his face mask. In the background, there's a video camera pointed at an empty chair with blood and stuff on the ground, and a newspaper looks like a hostage situation, a beheading situation, <laughs> um, where we, we, we quote the, the story, you know, the parable of uh, the king, the ten minas, and the slaves who go out and are supposed to spend their money wisely and all that kind of stuff, where he comes back and he says, essentially, anybody who doesn't do what I say, bring them here, and I'll, you know, I'll slaughter them at my feet. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that story is taken out of context. However, in the grand scheme of things, we then open the story to say, or the, the conversation to say, of course that's taken out of context. This is really a parable. Jesus didn't say this explicitly, except you know what he did, because Jesus didn't, you know, according to the Bible, and if you read the Bible, he didn't you know, just kind of mince words for the fun of it. He wasn't sarcastic. He wasn't making jokes all the time. So when he chose this story, this parable, to tell to his disciples as they're on the edge of the city, as they're thinking and being told that the new kingdom is coming tomorrow, and he and Jesus decides to tell them the story about what happens to people that don't do as they're told, they're slaughtered at the feet of the king, it's not an accident. And, frankly, when you put that in the context of many other verses, but, you know, we try to, again, just have a larger conversation about let's have, 
go ahead and give me any verse. I mean, I'm happy to illustrate any verse and have a conversation about it, because I do think, you know, we have Christian bookstores that are filled with books about, as you guys just asked, taking any verse and putting it out of context or explaining it away ecumenically or historically um, to try to try and, well, isn't that really where all denominations come from? I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the end of the day, like we're, I live in the Seattle area. You can walk down the street, and within five blocks, there are about nine churches. And you look at these churches, and you realize they all have, let's just take God, you know, Jesus' divinity alone. They all have different ideas of when Jesus became divine. Was it before he was born? Was it when he was born? Was it when he was baptized? Was it when, you know, he died on the cross? Was it when he was resurrected? Or was it, you know, through the ascension? They all have completely different ideas about something as simple as when Jesus became God, or was God at all, or deity at all. And so that's not my problem to answer. That's Christianity's problem to answer. Right. And nobody has the answer. And that's our whole conversation is, let's just admit, you don't know what you're talking about any more than we do, which mm-hmm. is why our uh, commentary, and when I say our, anybody out of the free-thinking world, the secular world, their thoughts on these subjects are just as valid as a Christian. So you don't have to be a Christian. To you don't need to be a theologian to offer Christian. ideas on these on these beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be a Stalinist to study Stalin either. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, and that, that's one of the all the time is well why do you care what like who are you why do you like why do you even study the bible if you're not a christian well because it's still is pervasive in our society and we need what well, i guess the question back would be why don't you why don't you look at the bible and actually understand what you're talking about can you even name the first you know the four gospels the first four books of the new testament the gospels of jesus christ um and that so the reality is i mean i think what we're trying to fight on both levels is just uh, complacent ignorance on the, on behalf of Christians. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll put that out there strongly in this podcast. I wouldn't say that that directly to Christians, but there's this, this complacent, willful ignorance on the behalf of Christians. They don't know what their faith is really about, um, historically or even contextually, when, you know, from the social perspective. And so we do that through illustrations. We do that through illustrations and commentaries that hopefully get them to think for themselves, perhaps for the first time since they learned a bunch of these stories, you know, when they were in church as a child, uh, when they got, for lack of a better term, indoctrinated. I mean, these are, these are words Christians hate to hear, and I think they're important words for continuing to have a rational conversation about how Christianity came to be and how it still exists and what Christianity looks like today. Yeah, it's good um, to keep poking at them from the outside, just saying like, hey, yeah, you may have learned the Bible growing up, and we're going to push back on that. And yeah. basically you can't escape it because anywhere you go on the Internet, you're going to come across this, whether yeah. it's Amazon, whether it's uh, a website, a podcast, whatever. Yeah, and that's why I appreciate it. Frankly, that's why I appreciate you and your blogs and your books and kind of your brand, for lack of a better term, is because I don't think one of the reasons I don't really answer yes, I'm an atheist, if somebody asks me I'm an atheist, is because we already talked about that. But at the same time, I don't want to be considered a militant right. atheist um, where Christians, they just stop listening. Like, no, let's have a conversation. Why does it matter? And it's the same reason. It's the same reason a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus's divinity don't call themselves Christians either. There are people who just don't want to be known by the stereotype. They'd rather kind of uh, do their own thing, do their own thing, and let you figure it out based on that, not just a a one-word label that may not tell you that much. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's so true. It's so funny. Like Dan Kimball, who I mentioned earlier, who wrote, "Yeah, he's the pastor." 
out in California who wrote the new um, forward for our second book. We announced that forward and put a copy of that forward on our blog and, and, and posted it on our webpage. And somebody posted it to some kind of Christian, like Jesus Daily kind of site. or you know, Those are the best sites. So within an hour, they're Oh, they're amazing, yeah. Aaron, Dr. Aaron Tabor is my favorite guy on Earth, <laughs> who, by the way, who's behind Jesus Daily. Um, but another story, but anyway, yeah, to, to what Helen was just talking about, um, Dan Kimball wrote the forward for our book. Within two hours of that being posted online, there were like 150 or 200 really, really angry posts on our blog from Christians, essentially calling him a heretic and an apostate and not a true Christian, and <laughs> people like him, and, you know, Brian McLean are the, the, the reason the church is going to hell in a handbasket, and, you know, we're just, we're one step away from, um, you know, Christine Wick, who, you know, right. thinks Monster Energy drink is <laughs> right. Satan. I mean, it's just not much If it makes you feel any better, I could make that, a blog post that says the sky is blue, and I'll have people saying I'm bad for atheism or whatever. Like, you could post anything. People will get mad about it. Mm-hmm. It's just a rule. <laughs> It's a rule. It's a rule. But at the same time, I, mean, I think I think we've done pretty well towing the line. I mean, I think you know, where we where we have a challenge as you know, a group of you know everybody on this call here, writers and authors and communicators, and the challenge is continuing to invite conversation, right. not just invite ridicule. That's why I appreciate like what you guys are doing, and that's what we try to come at it is. I'm sorry if this makes you uncomfortable, but it's an important conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Right. And frankly, I mean, I, I would, I will say on this call, I do get not as much anymore, but I used to get just as much angry email from atheists as I did from Christians because yeah. I was being We're an angry too people. easy on this because of my <laughs> position on politics or abortion right. or XYZ. Uh, it's so you know you can't please everyone all the time, but sure. at least we were having a conversation. All right, Horace. Well, thank you so much for having a conversation with us this evening. Um, we can find you. Uh, do you have a website? Yeah, awkwardmomentsbible.com. But really, most of our stuff is you know, through facebook.com slash awkwardbible. Awesome. And the books are called The Awkward Moments Children's Bible. Volumes 1 and 2 are out. And volumes 3 through, uh, I assume, Infinity. 47 yeah, are going to come out soon. <laughs> so, uh, Horace, thank you so much uh, for joining three. us. Just in time for Easter with volume. Sorry, there. Just in time for Easter for volume three. But I thanks for uh, being such a frank, friendly atheist. Awesome. <laughs> call and you guys have a time to stay warm. You Thank too, you man. So Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Bloomke. We hope you'll join us next time.